In the mid-1600s, Blaise Pascal, mathematician, philosopher, well-rounded, French smart guy, uh, put forth this notion that within all of us is an emptiness, a void, uh, something he referred to as a God-shaped hole in the human heart. He was saying we're incomplete. That within us all, there's this terrifying crater that we have that only God can fill. Uh, He likely was drawing from the late great African theologian St. Augustine of Hippo, who said that we are restless until we find our rest in God. And so by default, what this means is that we have this hole that we try to fill with all of these temporary and unsatisfying small things, things that are often good, right? Uh, Money, family, pleasure, uh, power, popularity. But all of these created things are insufficient to fill this great chasm in our hearts. Try as we might like, it still leaves us incomplete. While we're at it, we might as well try to grab a few sandbags and fill in the Grand Canyon just with a truckload, right? So what this means is that the God-shaped hole says this about our hearts, that each and every single one of us naturally is empty and chaotic within. Good morning. Uh, my name's Justin. I am the pastor of our Rio Town venue. Great to be with you guys today. I actually started coming to church here uh, 21 summers ago, so it's good, good to be here in Holt. Uh, delighted to be putting in the next installment of our series on the fruit of the Spirit. So this is Galatians, first century letter from St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, written to Christians who uh, live in what is now present-day Turkey-ish. Turkey-adjacent, Turkey-ish, I don't know, whatever. So as a refresher, when you hear fruit, that's figurative language, and we're we're speaking of a singular produce, the the virtues, the, the qualities that are brought about by the Spirit of God in the people of God. He rattles off nine items we'd expect to be associated with God's people. We're looking at each of these in turn. Thus far, we've covered love and joy, and today we're going to encounter something uh, that we we don't see much of. It's kind of elusive these days. It's kind of like looking for a a needle in a haystack. It's this little one-syllable word that shows up about 330 times in the Bible. And while it's all over the pages of Scripture, you don't find much of it in the pages of a newspaper. You don't see it as you scroll online. We often don't feel it within. We, We ache for it in our relationships, and in view of eternity, it often seems out of, out of reach. Uh, it's a word we all like. No one dislikes the word, uh, but it's a word that we often don't experience in a deep and meaningful way. And that word is peace. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Now, now Paul says that peace is something that's supposed to mark our lives. The lives of God's children are supposed to be marked by peace, we, we experience this as we walk with the Holy Spirit. Um, but we don't have the greatest understanding of peace. It's usually reductive. Typically in English, we see peace just in negative terms. It's what we don't have, right? It's when we don't have drama, we don't have war, we don't have conflict. That's true partially, but that's an incomplete view of peace. We, we think that if I can remove some harassment from social media, if I can take the conflict out of my marriage, if I can eliminate worry over my finances, if I can finally figure out what I'm going to do after I graduate, I will have peace. Those things are helpful, but that's not completely true. The Bible 
has a much bigger and much more positive view of peace. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew context comes from the word shalom. And that means peace. But when you dig in, it's a deep language. It can speak to wholeness, to being complete, health, prosperity, the implication of flourishing and permanence. Not just removing chaos from the void, but adding into it, uh, filling it up with, with what is good, maybe even God himself. Now, in the New Testament, of the Greek words that are translated into peace, the most common is Irene. Uh, so if you have a friend named Irene, you can be a nerd and be like, Irene, you were named after the Greek goddess of peace. It could really, really be impressive if you do that, I'm sure. Irene shows up about a hundred times in the New Testament. It's used by all but one New Testament author. And again, this is not just a break from war, but this speaks to good relations between people and God, people and people. As a noun, it can speak to tranquility in the mind and the heart. And as a verb, you remember verbs? Remember that day in like sixth grade? Verbs do stuff? Anyways, as a verb, it can mean to bind together. Bind together what might be split apart, torn apart, what might be incomplete. You, You bind it together. So that there would be no space between God and people, people and people, or even no rupture deep within our own hearts. So in sum, biblical peace means to be made whole or complete. We see this as we we view eternity uh, physically, relationally, spiritually. We're all whole. We see a glimpse of this in Jesus' ministry. He spoke the same words to two different women who approached him on two different occasions. In one case, a, a woman came, and, and she had been suffering from eternal, uh, eternal, internal bleeding chronically. And then another woman, who was a notorious sinner, came to him during a dinner. She sought him out, and he said the same thing after they both came to him in faith. He, he healed one, he forgave the other. He said to both of them, go in peace. Go complete, go whole. They came empty, Broken and shamed, they left filled, forgiven, and dignified. They came deficient, and they left complete. So this is what I'm getting at, and this is our project for this morning. There are different dimensions to peace. I've entitled the talk, Complete Peace. I'm not trying to be exhaustive, but I'm trying to give us a more complete picture, not a partial one. So uh, you list takers, I got you. We We got one, two, three, and four points all for you, about what complete peace involves. Uh, Let's start at number one. It's a great place to start. Complete peace involves vertical peace. This is peace with God above. Peace involves that. See, by the end of Galatians, Paul had been very clear about salvation, what it is, what it isn't, where it comes from. It doesn't come from obeying the law. It doesn't come from moral improvement. But through grace alone, we, we get this gift when we put faith in Jesus, his sacrificial death. Uh, Paul would go on to say that, that we are foolish and we are bewitched if we think we can be saved any other way than coming to Jesus in faith. We can't climb our way up to God, so he came down to us. In Romans, he's concise. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that's a legal term, you're not guilty, you're exonerated in the court of law, Since you've been justified by faith, we have peace with God, vertical peace, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died for our sins in our place, punishment, the the debt, the payment, the penalty, taking care of God's wrath directed at sin, punished in the person of Jesus. This means if you are God's child, he is not mad at you. He doesn't hold your sins over your head. And and so I I think what this means is, is it cosmically begins to fill the hole in our hearts. 
And he doesn't just take away the sin and the bad. He fills it with grace, love, mercy, acceptance, etc. Right? So this is why we, we can't reduce being saved to like this flimsy, like eternal fire insurance card. Like, ooh, we get to spend eternity in the non-smoking section. That's nice. And it is, but there's more to it. It means that we get God himself. Our God is a God of peace. And if you get him, you get the peace of God. First Corinthians, I'm not making it up. There's a Bible verse that, that backs this. Uh, God is not a God of disorder, but he is a God of peace. And so while we do struggle, while we have a very fallen condition, James will say that we struggle in many ways. On this side of eternity, we can rest assured knowing that we have a position that will never be disturbed even if our condition gets worse because of the one who secured it for us. Someday, as we, we just sang Gloria Waits, and y'all sounded beautiful, especially just, just the acoustic. Your voices sounded wonderful. We're singing glory awaits for all God's redeemed, right? Sin, death, sorrow will be gone. Only joy, only uh, restoration, love will remain. We'll be resurrected, new bodies. And that reality fills us and leads us to the second sort of peace. So complete peace involves not just vertical peace, but horizontal peace. Right, this is where you, you kind of like look around, you scan the room, or maybe you pull out your phone and you scroll through your contacts, you open your social media feed. Okay, don't in, in, open the social media feed. But we are supposed to be people of horizontal peace. There's other relationships besides the one we have with God. It, it, we're supposed to be filled up with something that necessarily would then spill over into others. Think about it. God is perfect. He's never wronged us. We wrong him, we sin against him, and he makes peace with us. We are not like God in that regard. So who are we to live in disunity and antagonism? The context here of Galatians 5, a few verses earlier, he, Paul here is warning the people in Galatia against biting and devouring one another. I'm glad that that is a dated thing that Christians got over a long time ago. But just go with me here. Use your imagination. We're supposed to be people of peace, not spiritual cannibals. Um, the esteemed civil rights leader, uh, John Lewis, who was threatened and brutalized multiple times, says, none of us can rest, be happy, or be at peace within ourselves until we end hatred and division. So it doesn't matter who we're dealing with. It doesn't matter what they believe. It doesn't matter whether or not we see them as moral. We're, we're, we're to pursue peace even when we feel wronged. When Peter was writing scattered Christians who were hiding uh, from severe persecution, they, they, they were fearing for their lives. Into that, Peter says this, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Then he's going to reference the Old Testament. Whoever would love life and see good days. Y'all want to love your life? You want to see good days? Well, here's a principle. Um, they must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil, turn away from the bad, and do good. They must seek peace, and pursue it. He's talking about horizontal peace, binding up the gaps that are adversarial between us. Now, I, I wonder if, if we have a reputation for being characterized uh, this way, especially with those that are unaffiliated with the faith. Uh, there was a Barna study, um, and Barna is a Christian survey group. 
and they did the study back in 2019. Remember 2019? <laughs> Those happy days where the sky was blue all the time, and the snozberries tasted like snozberries. Like, it was just great. And so I point this out because this was before the chaos of 2020 where we all lost our collective minds. Then they did a study looking to explain the increased disfavor and lower position of Christianity in society. They, they, were, they were looking to explain this, why some of us, even from time to time, myself included, have an issue with the term evangelical because of the baggage that goes with it. These are some of the terms, some of the language that came. Judgmental. Holier than thou. Uncompassionate. Blindly partisan. Nationalistic. This implies not just a lack of wisdom and humility, a lack of empathy and understanding, approachability, but that we are viewed as people fixated on the specks in the eyes of others more than the planks in our own. I spoke to a woman recently who told me her story, and she told me about growing up in an abusive home. No love, no affirmation, uh, yet a home that called themselves people of God. So by the time she was an adolescent, you, you imagine that God-shaped hole was even bigger, right? It was, it was a large, large hole. So predictably, she fell for one of the first boys that noticed her. And about the time she should have been getting her driver's license, she was pregnant. Now, what happened, and mind you, this is after she saw the child as a gift, kept the child. Her parents shamed her. The boy left her. And what's interesting is she was attending a religious school. She was learning about Jesus. She said she was drawn to Jesus because this Jesus in the scripture seems so merciful, especially to the sinners, to the downtrodden, to those that are morally fatigued, oh, to the people who know they need it. This guy, ooh, there's something to him. Her school asked her to leave. They kicked her out because they saw her as a moral failure and as a bad influence on everyone else. And as a result, um, you may not be surprised that she took multiple decades off of church. Scott Sauls says that uh, it's not uncommon for people to, to shoot the message, to reject the message, to shoot the message because of the behavior of the messengers. My point in bringing that up is, is simply this, that how we treat people matters. It doesn't matter if we think them to be righteous or not, inside or outside the family of faith, and it doesn't even matter how they treat us or how we think they treat us. We've got to take pains in pursuing horizontal peace. There are so many people, and some of you know this in your own life, that you're going to need to feel like you genuinely belong before you can get in a place where you will legitimately believe. I mean, think about this. Scripture says, even while we were still God's enemies, when we were sinners, Romans 5, he died for us. And that, that his kindness leads us to repentance, Romans 2. I mean, Paul will go on in Ephesians 4. We could do this all day. Like, you Google peace in the Bible, and like you, that's your afternoon. Paul says that Jesus is our peace. So, complete peace. Vertical peace with God. Horizontal peace with one another. But it's not supposed to be ideas just on the page or out here. It's supposed to be in the heart as well. See, I, I think this inner peace, this peace in the soul, this is the sort of peace that Paul has in mind in Galatians 5 when he's speaking of the fruit of the Spirit. This is the peace experienced in our hearts. It's the result of being saved, of, of receiving the Spirit. This is the internal calm. This is the serenity, even when the chaos 
rages on outside of you, this tranquility of mind that comes from being aware of God's presence and God's promises as things that are actually real. Isaiah says this to God. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. He doesn't say, keep the person who's just got great circumstances in perfect peace. We, we all see like people that like their Instagram says they're wonderful and they are miserable, <laughs> right? Uh, hard to believe, remain seated, I know. Um, <laughs> the mind that is dependent on you will be kept in perfect peace for it is trusting in you. See, peace is not this cute idea we throw on the back of a bumper sticker. It's supposed to be a lived experience in our hearts. Let's go back to Pascal's God-shaped hole for a moment. The idea is what we ultimately depend on shapes our well-being. We're all depending on something. It's just a matter of what it is. This is the kind of peace described in the famous hymn written by Horatio Spafford in the 1870s. Um, the, the context, Spafford lives in the United States. Uh, he's a lawyer, very involved in church leadership. The family was going to go on vacation to England. So his wife and four daughters get on a steamer and they head out. He stays back to take care of some business. He's going to get on the next ship out. When he stays behind tragically, there's a shipwreck. The ship sinks. Only his wife is rescued. He loses his four girls. And in the thick of that gut-wrenching tragedy, that is chaos. That is an objectively terrible situation. That's when he penned the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Opening lines. When peace like a river attendeth my way. Here's a contrast. When sorrows like sea billows roll. That ocean imagery is haunting. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well, with my soul, whether the external circumstances are good, the waters are calm, the skies are blue, whether they are horrible and the waves are choppy and the skies are dark, it is well with my soul. God's presence and promises that transcend the circumstances, these taught him that no matter what, it could be well with his soul. Now, when Jesus spoke to the disciples about receiving the Spirit, the context, the timing is pretty jarring. He's about to die. Betrayed, sham trial. Executed shamefully at the hands of the state. Their lives ahead of this, following that guy, are going to know more of the same. All but one of them will die unnatural deaths. And the one who does survive uh, had to survive boiling in a vat of oil. That's what they have ahead of them. Jesus says this to them. Peace, I leave with you. He doesn't say wealth. Cultural domination, I leave. No. Popularity, peace. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. This is a unique kind of internal peace. This is a comfort that's given by the spirit of Jesus that calms the chaos. It, it fills the void when all indications suggest that we should panic and lose hope. How do we get this peace? Well, there seems to be two ingredients. Uh, the first is pretty straightforward. That's the, the one-time thing. When we convert, the, the supernatural counselor, the comforter, the helper, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts. 
And the second seems to be this difficult, ongoing process of walking with him, trusting in him, that we would have more hope in this eternal person, his promises, his presence, than we would the temporary things that can be so easily gained or lost. We need to grapple with this idea that deep in our hearts, whether we realize it or not, we have a hole. And we all believe something will fill it. We all all finished this sentence one way or another. I'll be at peace if I have, fill in that blank. Your, what, what circumstances do you want? Money? Sexual fulfillment? Family? A life of comfort? I'll be okay. I'll be at peace if. So let's, let's, let's take some inventory here. I know we're at church, um, but let's, let's face the music. Let's be honest with ourselves. Do something that we are not always known for in a church. Um, what do you focus your time and energy on? Like when your imagination wanders, where does your brain go? Your deepest fears, the thing that you are most afraid of losing, that will tell you what you're trying to stuff in that hole. Um, I'll go first, okay? Uh, for me, um, if, for those of you that are in a good sight line, you, you might see there's a little apparatus, um, that's an understatement going on with me, um, I, I, I recently had my peace disturbed by tearing my Achilles tendon and calf muscle at the same time because if some is good, more is better. Um, now, besides the physical pain, which is funny because like, I have a very high tolerance for physical pain and no tolerance for any other kind of pain. Um, but anyways, uh, so this doesn't just strike at my, my leisure, but if I'm honest, this, this strikes at my identity. Um, being active, uh, being healthy, I want to be athlete my whole life. Like that seems to be like part of me. It can, it can be an idol, right? And I know it's not true, but I feel kind of uh, diminished as a man, not helping around the house, running around with the kids. I find myself reminiscing the good old days of sports. Um, like this, I just feel like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. I mean, really, but back in 82, man, put that pigskin a clear quarter mile. Um, Historically, um, I've also seen my peace disturbed when I address hard topics. I usually lean into them just fine. Um, But here's the thing. A person who says challenging things into a microphone is an easy mark for fault finders. I'm serious. Like clockwork, passive-aggressive comments. uh, Usually with scripture out of context. Uh, Emails from people that I would hope would be eager learners. Man, that, that, that's a bucket dipper, so to speak. And what I'm seeing, and I'm, I'm just leaning into this, because when we trust in counterfeit sources of ultimate peace, whether it's health or reputation, that short-circuits our joy. That robs our peace. What is temporary, what is fickle, won't fill that God-sized, God-shaped eternal hole in our hearts, whether it's Wealth or health or beauty or status or pleasure, it's all dust in the wind, so says Solomon. So what's the solution for us? Well, peacemaking. We need to be about making peace. Complete peace involves vertical peace, horizontal peace, inner peace, and peacemaking. Peace as our purpose is what's interesting about peace. It's not just a description not just a positive state of being. In Scripture, it's also commanded. Peace is commanded. 
Like we think of commands as weighty things, like don't murder. Okay, note to self. Not going to do that. Okay. Also commanded, making peace. It's a blessed state. Jesus and the, the Sermon on the Mount, this is kind of like the greatest hits of Jesus. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called sons of God. The, the children of God make peace. He doesn't say, blessed are the people who can define it. Blessed are the people who can talk about it. But he says, blessed are those who can make peace. We're supposed to be about it. Uh, mind you, later on in, in chapter 5, as he ends Matthew 5, he's going to say, you know, you're supposed to be perfect like your father in heaven. And you've heard it said, like, love your neighbor, hate your enemies. Mm-mm. Love your enemies. You know what he did to all of us when we were enemies? He made us friends. He loved us. Um, so, so, so this is audacious. And, and if we're real, th- get, get off the bumper sticker for a minute. Like, this is hard to do. What makes for peace? To give God top priority and allegiance over all of those alternatives that I can see. Like, I can see a number in my bank account. But God is spirit. God is invisible. It's hard to be the bigger person and to forgive when you have been wronged. It's hard to swallow your pride and apologize when you're in the wrong. It's hard to show people honor when you don't feel they've showed you honor. Creating peace is not for the faint of heart. Eleanor Roosevelt it isn't enough to talk about peace. One must believe in it. And it isn't enough to believe in it. One must work at it. Now, I know we're Protestants, and sometimes when you talk about work and spirituality uh, around Protestants, we panic. So I'll be clear. <laughs> we don't work for salvation. But the Bible says we are to work out our salvation. That's Philippians. In fear, in trembling, in Ephesians, Paul says that we are to make every effort Specifically to keep the bond of peace, the unity of peace. So I wonder what it might look like uh, for us to experience peace in a meaningful way. Vertically, let's start there. I think we need to receive the gracious offer that God has given to us, the the forgiveness of sins. When we do that, we have, Romans 5, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And even if we don't feel it, we still have it. God fills the chasm between us and him. And he begins to fill our hearts along the way. And what he does is he gives us the architecture inside. He gives us the social architecture for more peace. Horizontally, uh, we're called to make relational peace and, yes, civic peace. And if someone tells you otherwise, it's because they're taking Scripture out of context. Consider your friends and your family, your school, your place of employment, your wider community. How can you pass on what you have received from God? I mean, back to 1 Peter. How do we turn away from the evil, get away from the bad, and pursue the good? Well, maybe we need to put away the bad. Maybe there's some toxic inputs. Maybe um, there's that cable news pundit, that Twitter handle that that is just drumming up culture war and selling ads. Um, Maybe we need to put that away and be done with that. Maybe we need to put on the good. Maybe what we need to do is forgive somebody. Bless someone. Pray for them. Who could you kindly check in on? Like right, right now, I would not be offended if you all pulled out your phones and you started scrolling through your contacts list and you saw someone struggling, someone you could check in on, and you just said, hey, thinking of you today. We should be about this. Uh, what clubs could you volunteer for? I mean, you think about facing outward. Jesus said, we're the salt. We're the light. We could be about that. 
Or, or what about inside Riv? Uh, like you, you could serve with our, our, our fantastic Riv Kids ministry, and you could take these, these little kids, and you could help form them into little peacemakers so they don't end up grouchy and 39 like me, right? <laughs> Start them young. <laughs> we also need to work at inner peace, right? Think about the, the agricultural idea that Paul is supplying here, right? Um, if you've got a, a bowl of fruit at home, big, ripe, juicy apple in it, um, and, and you got some, some rumbly in the tumbly. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I think it's Tigger. You know what to do. You seize it. You grab it. You, you, you take a bite. See, our job is not to passively know about and partially talk about some theological idea. It's to partake. It's to be the farmer that's going to cultivate the orchard that we would invest time to regularly invest in, enjoy, I don't know, the God of the universe. Do this. This is our last Dr. Phil moment, um, I I promise. Hopefully you have a few of those throughout this week as you're reflecting, but dial up what is plaguing your soul most right now. What is stealing your peace? Maybe it's a face. Uh, Maybe it's an email that you got. Maybe it's, it's, it's news from the doctor. I don't know what that is. Bring that to mind. Hold that intention with a few action words, a few commands that I'm going to read to you. This is Paul first, uh, excuse me, Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, and that includes every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which, which transcends all understanding, the way that you're thinking about it, the way that your bad coping mechanisms are not giving you peace, that transcends that. The peace of God will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. When you're empty, when your peace is gone, talk to God about it. Pray to him, petition to him. Because he's eternal, he has a way of filling the void the way our circumstances never could hope to. Let's not leave that, that fruit uneaten. Not leave it going bad on the vine. Let's pursue the kind of life, the kind of habits and disciplines that makes this kind of inner peace attainable on the regular. I think for a lot of us, we're busy, we're fast. This just means slow yourself. Slow down. Turn down the noise and let the inner witness of the Spirit intersect with with, with the unchanging eternal truths of Scripture. And watch that Watch the fullness of God fill the emptiness that we all experience. You may not be getting the circumstances that you want, just a newsflash, but you're going to get the reassurance you need. You're going to get the God of peace, so you're going to get the peace of God. Let me pray for you. Father God, I thank you so much for my brothers and sisters uh, today. Uh, I thank you so much that you are a God of peace, even when we're not. You're a God of love when we're not loving. Lord, you supply what is lacking in all of us. And so often I feel kind of like um, that little boy on, on, the, on the mountainside when you told the disciples to, fill, uh, to, to feed the masses and they just had some crumbs left over. He says, feed them. And you took that little bit and then you did all the rest, Lord. So help us in faith to respond to you, to be people of peace, to know that we have it, that you made it because you died on the cross. Help us to live at peace with one another, 
to not let fickle things short-circuit what you have for us. Lord, we pray that your peace is within. We pray that, that we spill that over into society. And we pray that we'll make peace. We pray this in the name of the Prince of Peace. Amen.